0: So one night we're hanging out at Club Jam, and uh, these girls that we kind of knew—we didn't know them too well—but they came over to us and they they sat down across from us from the table and they said, "Do you want a reading?" Yeah. And we were wondering, "What are you what are you talking about? A book?"
1: Yeah. And then they pulled out these these cards though, like they're going to read uh-huh. read the cards to us, like tell tell us our fortune with the cards. Yeah. You know, that's the Baptists would call that witchcraft, and so so we we didn't feel so. Oh, hang on. Oh. Oh grant! oh it's... Dave, are you there? I don't feel so good, man
0: what ha- what's going on
1: oh man i I think I think somebody put a curse on me. What a curse? Oh, it's a curse. Oh, I was getting out of the banya the other night. I forgot to erase my footprints from the dirt, and I don't know. I think a witch came and stabbed my footprints. Well, maybe, maybe you gotta go see a
0: doctor. You sound sick.
1: No, no, it's a witch. oh Grant, you gotta we'll get a cat. Get... Get, get a magpie! You need to kill a magpie, man! That's the only way! Ooh. In 2003, two young Americans traveled to Russia, witch cursed them. Causing their bellies to swell up and their hair to fall out. (laughs) These are the disembodied voices of Grant and David. (laughs) Welcome to our second annual Halloween episode of (laughs) To Russia with Blood.
0: Well, everyone, I guess it's just me, Grant. Uh, Dave apparently had a curse put on him, and uh, I guess he's unavailable. Well, happy Halloween. Uh, you guys know that we we love the spooky, we love the paranormal, and uh, we're excited to introduce you to our second annual Halloween show. Today we're going to talk about uh, witches, we're going to talk about magic, we're going to talk about some of the occult in Russia, some of the history of that. But before we do, Dave had written a story that we wanted to share with you. And I guess I'm going to have to summon his disembodied voice for it. So uh, if you all could concentrate and help me out with this together, we can summon him. Kula Kula, David Schmidt, we summon you to tell us your story. Kula Kula, David Schmidt, bring us the dead magpie. Kula, 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 Kula.
1: He who runs with wolves becomes quite wolfish. Russian proverb. Andriy climbed the ladder to his hayloft one cold October day. The peasant farmer stood by the empty frame of the window, looking out onto the dirt path outside where a group of stray dogs trotted past. The sky was heavy with dark rain clouds. Andre cast a nervous glance at the animals inside his barn. They looked vulnerable, unprotected. True, they were surrounded by the thick pine boards of the barn, and yet Andre knew that there are things in this world that can penetrate walls. We are surrounded by forces invisible, unimaginable, powers that can devastate a man's livestock, even if they were kept inside great walls of stone and brick, like the palaces of the Tsar himself. May the Lord guard and protect him. Andrei knew there was only one thing that would protect his livestock, his land, his family. He reached into the pocket of his coat and pulled out the live magpie. He had captured the bird in the forest earlier that day. Its head darted back and forth, its body twitched with fear. It gave a pitiful cry, seeming to sense what was coming. Andre looked down and felt pity on the poor animal. But no, he had no other choice. This was the only way. Only by sacrificing the life of an innocent creature. Could he protect himself from the black magic that had afflicted his family for so long? He would spill its blood as an offering to the dark gods of the forest, the ancient Lieshi, Wadziani, and nochnitsi, hungry spirits that hid inside the gnarled trees, fighting darkness with darkness. Andrei grabbed the magpie's head with his calloused left hand and held its body tightly with his right. He felt its agitated breaths, the trembling body. He jerked the head to one side, snapping the bird's neck. Its hot blood dripped down his hands onto the hay-strewn floor of the loft. Andrei tied its feet with a piece of twine, reached up to the top rafter of the window frame, and hung the dead creature upside down, fighting darkness with darkness. He watched in silence as the last of the magpie's blood left its body. Behind the thin, viscous line of crimson, he saw a figure standing in the road. Andrei gasped. It was her, the very woman who had forced him to resort to this dark sacrifice. It was the witch, Babraya. The woman stared up at Andre with her green eyes, deeply set amidst countless wrinkles. Babraya carried a basket on her arm, covered with an old cloth. Andre could imagine its contents. Enchanted herbs, dead animals, talismans, all the instruments of her dark craft. He shouted out at her. What are you staring at, you cursed witch? Babraya said nothing. What do you want? At that moment, as Andre stared into the eyes of the witch from his hayloft and she stared back up at him from the path below, he thought back on all that his family had suffered over the previous months, all because of Babraya, the witch. It all started four months ago when Andrei's cow stopped giving milk. Andrei and his wife Natasha suspected dark magic. The beast would not even let them go near it, lowing and kicking wildly when they approached. One morning, Natasha decided that she had had enough. She marched into the barn with the old dented bucket in her hand, determined to milk the beast. As soon as she opened the barn door... The cow turned around, stood on its hind legs, and walked straight up the ladder into the hayloft. Natasha stared in horror. Suddenly she heard a soft voice whispering in the distance. She turned and saw Babraya standing at the gate of their yard, staring intently, muttering strange and incomprehensible words. Since that day, the barn was filled with a strange darkness that swallowed all light. The cats would not even set foot inside, despite the many rats that lived in the hay. André knew that he would need some form of protection, some way to hold back the witch's charms and incantations, fighting darkness with darkness. One evening, two weeks later, he went into the bathhouse to wash up after a day's work. As he stepped outside and wrapped a towel around his waist, the steam billowing off his naked body, He spotted a dark figure in the road. Someone was hunched over his footprints in the dirt. The person raised a thin knife over their head, a sharp blade that flashed in the moonlight, and they stabbed André's footprints again and again, whispering curses. André called out, and the figure stood and ran off, but he was sure it had been Babraya. Ten days later, the youngest daughter of Andrei and Natasha fell terribly ill. The child was bedridden for two weeks, unable to even walk to the latrine. Andrei and Natasha gave her every home remedy, every lekarstvo and medicinal tea they knew of, but to no avail. The life slowly drained out of the child's emaciated frame. Oh, that was the last straw. The witch had gone too far. Andrey and Natasha called for the wisest people they knew, Andrei's uncle Dmitri, and Natasha's grandmother Olga. Drastic times called for drastic measures. Witches are immensely clever, Babushka Olga said, staring at the flames that danced in the fireplace. Their power can cross space and time. They can transform into birds. I know. I have seen it happen. Olga had been in Red Square on that fateful day many years ago, when the Tsar had tried to execute all the witches of Moscow. Ivan Grozny, Ivan the Terrible, was true to his name. He showed mercy to no man and certainly not to accused witches. When he heard rumors of dark magic, he called for massive raids throughout the capital. The imperial troops dragged women out of their homes by the hair, kicking and screaming, lock them up in dark dungeons dripping with filth and torture them to confess the names of their comrades, fighting darkness with darkness. When every last suspected witch and friend of a witch in Moscow had been rounded up and jailed, the Tsar called for a mass execution. The witches would be burned to death on a Sunday in the middle of Red Square, and all of Russia would know the penalty for practicing the dark arts, fighting darkness with darkness. The women were bound and gagged and tied to stakes at the center of the square. On all sides, the people looked on. The nobles, government ministers and Orthodox Church authorities stood atop the high walls of Red Square, while hundreds of serfs and peasants crowded below. Grandmother Olga had been one of them. She had been working for a wealthy family in Moscow at the time and she saw them the witches, the nobles, the church metropolitan, even the Tsar himself. A hooded executioner stepped forward and held a flaming torch into the air. Before he could light the bonfire, a bolt of lightning flashed across the sky. With a clap of thunder, every last witch transformed into a magpie. The birds flew upwards in a massive cloud of flapping wings and beaks and caused and vanished in the cloudy sky, leaving the gaping crowd behind. Witches feel a connection to magpies, Grandmother Olga explained to André and Natasha by the light of the fire. Those birds can walk between the worlds, night and day, life and death. When a witch takes the form of a magpie, her power has no bounds. A witch could soar high overhead, observe her victims, and fly down their chimneys. With a glance from her wicked eye, she could cause pain and sickness, cholera, blindness, even death. Babraya must have flown into your house one night. Olga nodded toward the room where the sick child lay sweating and panting. Witches always attack the weakest first, children and beasts. After she has finished with the girl... She will come for the rest of you. Uncle Dmitri took a long draw from his pipe, stroked his gray beard, and cast a stern gaze at Andree. You need to pay her back in kind. Give her a taste of her own medicine. Dmitri knew more secrets of magic and curses than anyone else in the village. He had worked on the mercantile fleet of the Tsar, sailing to distant and unknown lands. He told Andrei of a far-off country known as Irlandia, where the natives had shared their secrets with him. To defend themselves from evil spirits, they would hollow out a gourd, carve a horrid face on it, and place a lit candle inside. The devils and imps would see a creature more wicked, more fearsome than themselves, and they would flee back into the night, fighting darkness with darkness. But uncle Andrei replied, we are not in Irlandia, but the principle is the same, Dmitri insisted. The only way to defeat witchcraft is with witchcraft. Beat Bab Raya at her own game. But how, Andrei asked. There were many options. He could curse Raya's name, saying it backwards during Holy Mass. He could throw a dagger into a whirlwind when it passed by, as witches commonly traveled on the wind. All the counterspells involved some act of violence. A sacrifice, Grandmother Olga offered. That is the only sure defense. You must kill a magpie, the symbol of the witch's power. Spill its blood and hang it in your barn. You will need to fight darkness with darkness. And so it was that Andrei climbed the ladder to his hayloft on that dark October day spilled the blood of the innocent magpie and hung it in the window frame. He stood there, staring down at Babraya, and hatred filled his heart. A sly smile appeared on the witch's wrinkled face. He shouted, What are you laughing for, you cursed witch? A light drizzle began to fall. Raya smiled more widely. Andre grabbed the claws of the dead magpie and held it high above his head. Do you know what this is? You know what this is? The witch threw back her head and laughed. <laughs> Why are you laughing? laughing? Andre trembled with rage. Had the protection failed? Would she curse him again? He half-expected the witch to transform at that very moment, fly up into his loft and attack him. Instead, she merely stood in the road and pointed a gnarled finger at him. You, Andrei, are one of us now. Andrei's blood ran cold. He now understood with terrible clarity why the witch laughed. She knew that she would never be able to touch his family again, true. But she also knew the cost that Andre had paid for protection. In spilling innocent blood, he had been pulled over to her side. He had been drawn into the dark arts. He was now a witch. Babraya raised a hand to wave and turned to walk away. Until next time, comrade. Fighting darkness with darkness. Back. Yeah, man, that uh that dead magpie that cleared me right up. I feel I feel great. I feel like a million rubles right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well good. I'm glad. I was a little bit worried for you for a while. And especially since you love Halloween so much. This is right up your alley.
1: Yeah, I would hate to miss it just because a a witch put a curse
0: on me in Saratov. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, today we're we're talking about curses. We're talking about witches. We're talking about magpies. Um and how all of that kind of goes together. There's a there's a long history of uh, witches in Russia.
1: Yeah, and not just the the history of of legends and folklore, oral lore, but but also actual written history. Um, cases of people being prosecuted for witchcraft oh. in Russia. Yeah, there are uh, a few cases really interesting. Uh, some of these come from a great book that I, I anyone interested in the topic of divination, magic, witchcraft, uh, paganism in Russia. Uh, the book is The Bathhouse at Midnight, An Historical Survey of Magic and Divination in Russia by William Francis Ryan. Okay. And some of these stories come from, they're cited in that book, uh, very scholarly but really in-depth, fascinating treatment. He tells the story in that book uh, that we included in the, the tale that we just heard, of The Dead Magpie, and this is a documented, somebody wrote this down, that some version of this actually happened, uh, that Ivan hmm. the Terrible... Okay. That supposedly he gathered all the witches of Moscow in Red Square and he was going to burn them, and they all turned into magpies and flew away. Wow! So who knows what the <laughs> what the historical version of that was? Um, I mean, I don't want to be too skeptical, but people turning into magpies—who knows? Who knows? But it it seems like there was there was some actual historical event like that of a, a mass witch burning, witch execution in Moscow.
0: That happens ev- everywhere around the world, and we get the phrase witch hunts. From that, where oftentimes women have been collected and accused of divination, accused of performing magic, and so that that's that's kind of a common thing. So it doesn't doesn't surprise me that Ivan the Terrible may have done something like that.
1: Yeah, that's I and mean, there's several examples of that, uh, and they go they go up into really recent history in Russia, uh, as late as the mm. the 1850s, in Siberia, in the Tsuman province of Siberia, there was a tailor. And he was seized by the authorities during an epidemic uh, of cholera, and the authorities they accused him of doing witchcraft oh. to send cholera on the wind. Oh. that's a common belief that that witches and warlocks could send uh, send a curse on the wind. It was called bavietrian, like a plague or an epidemic. Uh, and a really early term, okay, an early term for an epidemic was uh, vjetrenaya which is wind uncleanliness. Wow. And for up until really recently, that was a term for evil spirits, but also a word used for for skin diseases and venereal diseases, too.
0: Before science came in to understand uh, microbiology and things like that, viruses, all of that, you know, people get sick and it doesn't seem like anything was wrong. You know, witchcraft is the most logical idea at that point.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it's it's an in. An involuntarily correct description of of these diseases that they can be airborne, yeah. And uh, so, in in a sense, they do come on the wind, yeah. But uh, you you know you need a someone to blame, and so in like Europe and in Russia, at different points you blame the witches, you blame a certain group of people, and and say it's their fault this yeah. is happening because people are terrified of the inexplicable, and and, and I mean, pandemic disease it's a, a terrifying thing,
0: yeah. You get your scapegoat, and you can punish someone.
1: Right. There was a wizard uh, in Nizhny Novgorod, Daroshka, and he and his associates, they were also accused of sending spells on the wind to attack Tsar Peter when he was very young and Tsar Peter's mother. Wow. So we've got all of these uh, really early uh, records of the authorities prosecuting witchcraft, uh, but even a lot later than the the Salem witch hunts that we know about in the States, um, like like we mentioned yeah. going up into the 1800s even like very shortly before
0: the revolution yeah. now in your story that you told the magpies the these birds that are in the crow family they they were really prominent and it, it seems like that that is a, there's a connection there with witches in russia what uh what's that association
1: yeah so well we want to make sure everyone knows what the magpie looks like uh, like you you yeah. remember seeing those in russia right
0: I remember looking out our, our window from our balcony and uh, there were times of the year where there were dozens, you know, or maybe even a hundred or or 200 magpies just hanging out in our courtyard, like, you know, all over the kids, swing sets and, and slides, you know, those dangerous Soviet <laughs> yeah, parks.
1: The, the, the good old rust, rusty metal sleds.
0: Yeah, the magpies weren't afraid of those at all. They just kind of would hang out there. And at first I thought they were some weird messed up kind of crow cuz they they were mostly black but they had like a, some white feathers on them and, and they looked they looked funny.
1: Yeah, they have this they look almost like Oreo cookies cuz there's that really stark contrast yeah. but that part of their body is white and part is black but just like total white and jet black right next to each other. Yeah. They're they're common in a lot of the world. Uh they're really intelligent. They're actually they're considered one of the most intelligent non-human animals in the world. Uh, and a magpie okay. it's one of the very few non-mammal species that can recognize itself in the mirror it knows that that's not a, another huh. bird it that's it itself wow like you mentioned they're part of the crow family the corvidae family and crows magpies ravens all these animals can learn to talk as well like the old edgar allan Poe poem about the raven where the raven says nevermore
0: nevermore yeah
1: i was i was always confused by why the narrator isn't more freaked out that the raven is talking and later on i learned <laughs> oh no ravens can actually learn to talk just like parrots and and other birds
0: that's something they do yeah i i feel like i've heard magpies do other bird calls and everything too they're they're kind of like mimicking birds
1: yeah very very smart animals and i think that's part of why that they're associated with witchcraft and the supernatural is there's there's this natural fear any animal that's not human and is that smart people kind of <laughs> kind of get freaked out about yeah so in russia the the magpie in russian it's saroka is the name of it and uh they're associated with witches in russian folklore before we go into why that might be let's talk a little bit about that word saroka and we'll do our russian language lesson of the day obevgeteyozhe <laughs> So what we're going to look at with the word saroka is the letter O. Now, as anyone who's studied a little bit of Russian knows, that Russian, for the most part, it's very phonetic. It's not like English where you have all these weird spellings and you can never quite predict a new word. You're not sure how it'll be
0: spelled. That was a good thing for us learning the language and me specifically. When I was able to memorize the alphabet, I could read things and I could say them in a way that people understood. Where in English, I I know people who have immigrated here and for years, but they'll still pronounce things different because we have such a weird way of pronouncing letters when they come in different contexts.
1: Totally. I mean, the craziest example that somebody came up with is they made up a word G-H-O-T-I. And said that could be pronounced "fish" in English, because fish. In, because there's yeah. different words where "gh" <laughs> is pronounced as the "f" sound and the "o" is the "i" sound, and so on. Yeah. Thankfully, the Cyrillic alphabet it's very phonetic, uh, with a few exceptions, and one of them is the letter "o," and it's written just like the mm-hmm. Latin "o," but uh, when the emphasis is on it, it's pronounced like an "o," like from the word "poke." Okay. But when it's not when it's not the emphasized syllable, then it's more like an "us" uh sound. Like some, like between an a ah and an uh sound, almost all, closer to the schwa of the International Phonetic Alphabet. Okay. The word for a magpie in Russian, it's spelled S-O-R-O-K-A
0: in Cyrillic. Soroka.
1: Yeah, so the first O oh is like an a uh sound, and the second one, which gets the emphasis, is an O oh sound. So same letter.
0: Yeah, so you get both.
1: You get both, yeah, both flavors of the O letter there. Soroka. <laughs> Ah. So in Russian folklore, these saroki, these uh, magpies, they're associated with witches, and and the question is why. In in the yeah. book, the bathhouse at Mad- at midnight, the author he goes into a lot of different cases, recorded cases in Russian history where witches and and saroki magpies show up together. Uh, there was a, a usurper in the seventeenth century. He was called the False Dimitri. He They said his wife. He was trying to usurp the throne of the tsar. Uh, And they said his wife escaped from Moscow, turning herself into a magpie. Mm. In Moscow, I don't know if this is still the case, but I don't remember seeing magpies in Moscow. And according to legend, magpies were under a curse because they had stolen a Lenten pancake from a fasting man in the Orthodox tradition. (laughs) (laughs) And so they got cursed by God and they're not allowed into Moscow. And then there's different versions of that or they say they were banned by the metropolitan Alexei to get rid of the witches. One of the the significant traditions in that book that he mentions is that magpies would be dead magpies would be hung on the barns of peasants to frighten away witches. Oh man,
0: that would frighten me away.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Don't, don't go near there.
0: So why magpies? You know, we think in, in the West, when we think of witches, we think of black cats. So there's some kind of similarity. Tell me why, why is it magpies being the association in Russia?
1: Well, I, yeah, I think it's the, the the cat, association is uh, a really fair one to make because people have a lot of cultures have associated cats with the supernatural because they can walk in the day and the night. And so they're seen as these, these connecting points between the different worlds of the living and the dead and the light and the dark. I mean, the magpie, in addition to being really intelligent, just the look of its body, it combines light and dark. It's got the white and black right next to each other. Those contrasting colors. Yeah. Okay. And I, I think that's really significant. In my story, I did a little editorializing with the meaning of that tradition. I focused, I kind of vamped up the, the sacrifice of the innocent animal and vamped up the evil element to focus my story on this idea of fighting darkness with darkness. Uh, but I think, the, mm. I think the original symbolism of magpies in, in Russian paganism, it's a lot closer. It's not so much a symbol of evil or of sacrificing an innocent animal. It's a symbol of dualism which we see in a lot of different pagan uh, traditions. Okay. So it's uh, it's not so much worshiping evil in the way that witchcraft gets depicted in later records from Russia and Europe. Uh, but in the, the original pagan traditions, dualism is a big thing. And bringing dualities together, opposites coming together, that was a sacred yeah. thing. Male and female, night and day, living and dead a lot of pagan gods are hermaphroditic they have male and female anatomy combined uh-huh and uh so sacred people like shamans and still in the the traditions of Siberia today there are shamans who can walk in the land of the waking and the land of the of the dreamland the other the other universe and so these oh yeah these sacred animals or and people like shamans they are people and animals that can cross back and forth between night and day the material and spirit world And uh, the the shamans of Siberia have traditions of they will go into their dream world and find what is afflicting their patients. So I think I think that's the original Hmm. meaning of the magpies and witches being associated is that in the original pre-Christian days, the folk healers and the shamans who later got called evil and they were called witches by the church authorities. Yeah. And that this always happens. A new religion comes into a place and the old religion is demonized. The gods of the old religion turn into the devils of the new one. But in the in those old faiths, I think it was a, a tradition of people and animals like magpies that could cross back and forth between the dimensions.
0: Wow. You know, uh you've mentioned a few things that remind me of uh one of my favorite pop culture references from Russia. Uh, do you remember the movie Night Watch that we watched out there?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And you and I have we've read a few of those books. I, I read them and yeah. some of them I read in Eng- in Russian and some in English.
0: Yeah, I loved it. I have a tattoo of an owl because there's a character in there who's associated with an owl, and that's my my Night Watch tattoo. Yeah. But you you mentioned a few things that that um is really it's it's kind of it's really cool, and I I don't don't think I really made the full connection. In this in this series, it's it's about witches and magic, um, sorcerers, shapeshifters, and the duality that you talked about earlier. There's that that's the entire theme of the series. There's six books in it, and the idea is that in Russia there is uh, these two forces that police each other and they help society continue on. Uh, the main character is a part of the Night Watch. And the idea is that the night watch look over the night and they patrol during the night and they watch out for the day watch and the day watch patrol during the day and they make sure that they don't cross boundaries from you know, either of the sides. So the duality is a big part. They also go into um, different dimensions. You talked about uh, the green green world. Another thing that, that gave me a connection to this is the idea of the magpies and the crows there's a few scenes in these books where crows are a, um, a huge part of that. And and I say crows because that was what it was written in English. But I wonder if the the translation was, was magpies um, and they just got translated to crows. But there's a huge, a huge uh, event that happens where all these crows start flying together in like a big tornado type funnel and they call it the vortex, and it had magic going on within it and stuff.
1: So, in English, is that how is that how they refer to that that big uh, whirlwind? Is it vortex? Is the word they used in?
0: Yeah, they call it a vortex. And you know, at first, I was like, "What do they? What do they mean? What are they talking about?" But when you see it in the movie, it kind of shows shows these crows kind of flying in a. It it look, it looks like a tornado made out of crows,
1: <laughs> which is a really cool way to depict it. Uh, because the, the actual, the Russian word in the original book is varonka, which translates as a, a whirlwind or a vortex or funnel, uh, tornado. Yeah. Uh, but the word varonka, it's very similar to the word voron, which is the word for a crow or a raven. Okay. I, I don't know the etymology there, but it's, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some ancient connection there between this word for a, a swirling vortex of air and the voran, which is a relative of the magpie, which is associated with supernatural forces.
0: That makes sense to me.
1: We even see that in, in English when, when you see a little tiny whirlwind. you know what a, What's a phrase that you hear people call it if they don't want to say a, a tiny whirlwind?
0: The dust devil. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's an, a folk memory of, of associating those, uh, <laughs> those little whirlwinds with something supernatural coming, coming down the road. Yeah. I love I love that Night Watch series. Uh and I, I love how much they go into the the moral ambiguity of these two forces that are really two yeah. sides of the same coin. The they call them yeah. the inni, the the others, I think would be what they call them in English, all the supernatural beings. And there's the light ones and the dark ones. And as a Western viewer, if you watch the movie or read the book, uh as a westerner, you you expect, okay, the light ones, they're gonna be the good guys. And they are the, the protagonists of the story. We see it from their point of view. But it's really morally ambiguous. Yeah. You remember the at the end of the first part of the first book, which is the end of the first movie too, spoiler alert, people, The there's that kid who gets drawn over to the dark side, and he has a cool little speech at the end, and the, they actually emphasize it in the movie a little more, Yeah, where he tells uh, Anton Grodziewski, I think is the main guy, Anton Grodziewski.
0: Anton, yeah.
1: And yeah, he tells he tells Anton, you know what, I'm going with them because you guys do the same stuff. You kill people, they kill people. You use violence, they do too. So what makes you the good guy is just because you're the light side and they're the dark side. Yeah. We see that a lot in, in these ancient Russian legends too. Uh, characters that later on turn into just pure evil characters, in the original older stories, they were really more ambiguous. And uh, Baba Yaga, yeah. I think, is the best example. In the... The more modern folk tales she's a she's a witch and she's just evil. She lives in a house that walks on chicken legs out in the forest and she eats children <laughs> and she's just yeah. just straight up evil witch. but in the earlier stories, she was more ambiguous and she could actually help you out and bring you wealth and fortune too and some of the characters and stories she she helps them out and brings them good luck. And so she's a lot hmm. more like a, a just that brute force of nature. She was a lot of scholars think that she used to be a, an ancient goddess of the forest or the night or the moon. Huh. So with that duality, there's that moral ambiguity, which a lot of nature gods, they're personifications of nature itself. It can kill you or it can help you. That just that massive yeah. brute force of nature. And they you could say they're personifications of human beings, just like the the story of Night Watch. I mean, that's how we, yeah, that's how we are. We uh, you know, we engage in these power conflicts, uh, balance of power, but you know, everyone likes to think they're the good guys.
0: So in thinking about Baba Yaga, uh that we we talked about her a lot when we were out there just cuz you know, that's one of the things we knew about Russian culture was that that there's this witch. <laughs> but uh we would see we would see ladies uh maybe selling things on the street or or asking to, to tell fortunes. And we always joked that, Oh, Hey, there's Baba Yaga. <laughs> I remember a few times, you know, running into some of these ladies on the street and they would, they had said they wanted to t- tell our fortune and we didn't, you know, as, as we kind of said before um, the Baptists, that was a, that was a definite no, no for the Baptists. And we weren't too into it either. You know, we didn't, we didn't really know, you know, what that, was, or, you know, if they could really divine our future or, or talk to spirits. And we just didn't want to mess with that. So we would always say, no, thank you. And we'd keep walking. But I remember a few times when we would say that the ladies would get upset and then they would uh, not quite yell at us, but they would start talking under their breath. And they, there was once when the lady did this weird thing with their fingers, I could, I could swear that she was putting a curse on us. How do you know if you've gotten a curse? Because that might be hanging over me right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not going to say that we were definitely cursed, but that lady did that thing with her fingers and whispered those words. And only 10 years after that, I got really fat and you got bald. So I don't know. That's true. Ancient Russian curse. That's true. <laughs> You'll be the judge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You be the judge. I mean, we're not the pro. We're not the professionals here. We can't say.
1: But there's uh, there are a few ways to protect yourself from curses and ways to know if you've been cursed by a witch in Russia. Okay. And there are counter curses also in in the tradition. So one of the hmm. the things that I mentioned in our our skit at the beginning of the episode, uh, one traditional way for witches to curse someone was to find your footprints in the dirt and come up with a a fresh knife and stab your footprints. Oh and then that would send the evil to you. Okay. Uh, another way is to take ground up glass and blow it into the wind, which is what uh, Daroshka was accused of doing against the young Tsar Peter.
0: So putting the curse on the wind.
1: Yeah, you send it and the wind carries it to to the victim and then supposedly the victim would die and they'd open open them up in the autopsy and find that ground glass inside their internal organs. Those scary stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm just guessing. I'm just I'm going to say somehow he ate glass and that's that's what killed him.
1: <laughs> yeah, some of the, the heavy drinkers that we knew, I I wouldn't put it past them. You know, you get uh, far enough into the vodka bottle. I could see a guy taking a bite out of the bottle. Yeah. Ugh. So then there's ways to counter curse if a witch has cursed you. Uh, and like like we allude to in that uh, dead magpie story, a lot of these involve yeah. participating in darkness, in, in witchcraft, and sending... Uh, sending darkness to a person that you think has cursed you. So one, one yeah. great way to counter-curse a witch, if you know who's done it to you, um, let's say it's Babraya, like in the story. So you would go into an Orthodox church during Mass and you would say her name backwards during the Mass and then spit and curse her name during the Orthodox Mass. Huh. Which is an interesting concept of, of somebody that that the church and the Mass is where you go to do witchcraft yeah. Uh, like, I don't, you could look look at it as as that dualism idea of you're working on the opposite side of the spiritual forces, or you could look at it as like, you need to blaspheme in order to curse someone properly. Yeah. There's a recorded ancient curse here that uh, you invoked to get my voice back into this episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it worked. It
1: worked. Here we are. And this, uh, so this is for a Naslanya, a spell to send on the wind. So don't try this at home or do I don't know I don't care doesn't work anyway <laughs> <laughs> but this is an an actual ancient russian curse to to curse someone we're going to just name him john doe here so if any listener is actually named john doe turn off your your radio or whatever <laughs> don't listen to this john doe so this I'll read this okay. and then uh, grant will give us the translation kula kula aslepi john doe Черные воронья, голубые карья, белые, красные очи, раздуй его утробу тольще угольной ямы, засущи его тело тоньше луговой травы, умори его скорее змеи медьяницы.
0: Кула кула, блайнд Джон До, Black, blue, brown, white, red eyes blow up his belly larger than a charcoal pit dry up his body thinner than the meadow grass kill him quicker than a viper e ouch
1: yeah so so nasty stuff so that's i mean that's how curses work you know we could we're looking at all this folklore and and legends and and it's fun to to study this stuff yeah but i think it all has a lot of application to human life anywhere anytime when we look beyond the idea of, of magic, but at the, the bigger picture of our ideas of evil, uh-huh. what, what do we call evil and how do we fight actual human evil? And do we fight darkness with darkness? Do we fight violence with violence? Is that actually how you yeah. fight, fight evil? And I think, I mean, yeah. the listeners can de- derive their own applications, but I, I think you, we can imagine plenty of scenarios where someone calls something evil and they fight it using the exact same thing. They're calling evil
0: throughout, I think, tons of stories, a lot of folklore. That seems to be what happens. And then oftentimes it backfires, you know, using evil to fight evil. There's a price that needs that has to be paid for that. Right. And so in my mind, that doesn't seem to be the right way to go about it.
1: Yeah. So even if you think somebody has actually cursed you, I don't know, maybe think twice before you use that Kula Kula curse against them. Maybe think of yeah. a better way.
0: Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about some of the history, uh, Ivan the Terrible, some different things going on in the past. We were there in the turn of the century, and uh, so the lady who was cursing us, that was modern times. What is um, what is witchcraft, what is paganism like in modern Russia?
1: Uh, like we mentioned at the beginning, divination, uh, it's still really common in Russia. Uh, there were those girls that we met at Club Jam who were reading cards. Uh-huh. A really popular place to do divination is in the bathhouse, in the banya, at midnight, and that's that's where the the name of that book we've been reading
0: from uh, comes from. Well, you've mentioned before the banya has traditionally been seen as like a thin place, or a, or a connecting place to the to other worlds or to the the other side. Right. So that would make sense that people would. Be able to communicate with spirits or or get insights when they're in the banya.
1: Yeah, and there's even that figure of the like a gnome that lives in the banya, the the banik, and that gnome can yeah. can take on the form of humans and and trick them. So that divination practices they still happen. Uh, one tradition that some parts of Russia is still alive is sviatki. Do you remember Abramov telling us about sviatki? Almost like a Russian Halloween. Do you remember when he he mentioned that?
0: Ah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't really remember that. Um, that was around the time when I left Russia. So right. I don't think I experienced it myself. But I, I remember since you're, you're, you always love Halloween, you've loved Halloween and all that since then. I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard you talking about that. What is that?
1: Yeah, so it comes from the word uh, Sviatoi, which is holy. But Sviatki is, is actually the opposite. It's a traditional festival, very similar to the old roots of of Halloween and of the Day of the Dead, the Dia de Muertos here in in Mexico. Huh. And uh, it's between January 7th, which is the Orthodox Christmas Eve, and January 19th, which is the Epiphany. Okay. And that's when Christ is baptized. And uh, so according to tradition, that's the period without the cross. Between Christ being born and being baptized, it's this, like, gray area in the fabric of the universe where where the evil beings and imps and spirits and devils are allowed to come into the earth for a short time and, and wreak havoc. Hmm. So so similar to the the old stories between behind Halloween that since it was the day before All Saints Day, that was the day that all the imps and devils got to yeah. have their way for one night. Yeah, but Sviatki, it's uh, people do all 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 sorts of crazy things. There are traditions of people putting on fake funerals and like kind of play acting, mocking death. Okay, people would dress up as devils and go out into the village and scare the villagers and sing and shout and play instruments. And and there was even a tradition like trick or treat, where you would go and ask people for treats, and uh, you would be unlucky if you didn't give them treats. Hmm. But then they would play play tricks on you also. So there were these a lot of games that were involved, kind of sexual, body suggestive things, where women's would women or young girls would be be a, a horse that was for sale, and the men would inspect them and check out the horse's rump and things like that. Hmm. And uh, and there was a tradition of, of fortune telling during Sviatki too. This kind of moral morally ambiguous time when the regular rules don't apply for a few days, and you don't work and you okay. just you go out and you play tricks and you have fun and you, you do all the things that you're not allowed to do during the rest of the year. Mm. Tons of cultures have these traditions. There's the carnival, the Mardi Gras right before Lent in a lot of traditions. Yeah. So sviatki, it's it's still very common in a lot of parts of Russia. Okay. Most people are, are they consider themselves Orthodox Christians. They do it just for fun. But it's interesting that there are still neo-pagan communities in Russia too who really take the old traditions, the, the pre-Christian tradition seriously. Yeah. There are, there are movements like the Zvinyash Yikiedri, the Ringing Cedars. Anastasianism is a spiritual movement. Uh, they say it's based in the old pre-Christian paganism. A lot of it is kind of imagined, a lot like a neo-pagan like, traditions like Wicca in the West. Like, Did, did you ever have friends who were Wiccan in, in high school or know any kids, like goth kids, into that?
0: No. I went to a Christian high school, so. Oh, yeah. No no wiccans <laughs>
1: <laughs> no yeah off limits i had a, i had a few friends who yeah. were who were wiccan and painted their nails black and and they would do okay. different rituals later on i did research and learned a lot of those rituals are kind of kind of made up trying to reconstruct how people imagine the old ways would have been cuz there there are not a lot of written, yeah. r- written records and a lot of those old european pagan traditions were lost but there are still a lot of russian modern russians who are trying to rescue that or trying to to resurrect the old pagan traditions and like pagan traditions anywhere these it's not what we would think of as witchcraft or satanism or dark evil stuff yeah it's nature gods personifications of the forces of nature and worshiping the the duality the black and white coming together two sides of one thing coming together and and so it's a very complex theology and spirituality that a lot of people take very seriously today and there we found some really interesting articles from uh, from Newsweek, from Russia Beyond, uh, that talk about the, these living traditions of Slavic paganism in Russia today.
0: So, what about like some of the the darker stuff? You know, these this the lady cursing me in the in the subway station. I mean, are are, are these are these people worshipping the devil? Are they what what's what's up with that?
1: Uh, the short answer is, I don't know if anyone actually worships the devil in Russia. I can't say that, that nobody does, because you, you can't prove a negative anyway. Uh, but from everything I've seen, there are, are stories about yeah. devil worship and about Satanism in Russia. Most of the ones that I've seen are smear campaigns by conservative voices in Russia. Okay. In in the orth, Orthodox Church yeah. and in, in Protestant churches, too. I don't think I've ever shown you the the children against no wizards video. No. Oh, I, this we're gonna have to put this on our on our social media. There's a there's a short English version of like a, a preview of it. It was it's a feature feature length animated film, <laughs> just terrible quality, computer animated, but terrible. Like a per, half of a person's body stays in the chair when he gets up, and just awful digital animation. They got a, a government grant to make it. And the Orthodox Church authorities sponsored this. It's a film oh. that's really a ripoff of Harry Potter, but <laughs> in this film Harry Potter is, is evil. There's a school of witchcraft, it's in Scotland somewhere, and it's evil and it's got devils in it. And uh so the main the villain of the movie is like a Harry Potter character, but he's evil. He's Russian, but he's not loyal to the Kremlin. He's loyal to the West and he practices witchcraft <laughs> and he supports NATO and he loves yeah. Western music and film so so just yeah. everything evil put to everything bad on earth. It's uh, I found an a, an article about it in English that we'll have to post. Re- I watched most of the movie and it's <laughs> it's like the it's like the room with Tommy Wiseau. Okay. It really is so bad it's it's good. The perception of evil is anything foreign, anything western. Uh, yeah. Anything that we can describe as the other—that's mm. that's what's devilish in that film. When we were there,
0: didn't Oksana give you give you a pamphlet or a book like a tract? I remember being a kid and getting like you know tracts about Halloween and you know staying away from D and D Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. But she didn't she give you something like that in Russia?
1: Yeah. Well, at our you remember how we would always sing a, a yeah. Western song during our yeah. our youth group that we had at the Baptist Church. And then we would, uh, it was really a cool thing. We'd, we'd analyze the lyrics. We'd translate them and then talk about what is this song talking about and find some kind of application yeah. to talk about something philosophical. After one of our youth group sessions, Oksana said, hey, I've got something that I really think you should see yeah. with all the all the rock music that you're playing in church. It was a booklet all about all the hid, hidden satanic <laughs> messages in Western rock music. I mean, you remember all these different uh, different urban legends that we would hear about backwards. yeah backwards voices and and there there's hidden messages where if you play it backwards it sounds like hail satan or something
0: yeah or alice cooper's biting off the heads of bats and rats in in worship to satan and stuff
1: right or yeah. or even that beatles songs had hidden satanic messages in them
0: yeah yeah not even not even the scary guys like alice cooper or marilyn manson you know the beatles with their <laughs> backwards messages or yeah,
1: blackbird singing in the dead of night—that's the devil, man. Yeah, they, so that book—it was a Russian version of all those urban legends put together of okay. of why rock music's evil. It it had the it had the Hotel California in there too. Oh, and that's a that's a popular one for those those urban legends. People say that it's a, a metaphor for like Satan's realm or hell, and you yeah. can you can never leave, and you're always going to be trapped there. Yeah, which I always found funny because. The song—it's obviously singing about a, a brothel and this life of excess and vice and, and addiction. Yeah, and like, like, isn't that evil enough? Somebody being <laughs> substance addiction and addicted to prostitution—why
0: does Satan even need to be there? It's—that's <laughs> already bad. Yeah, you don't need to read into this song. It's—it's it's bad. It's a—it's a bad situation. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and it's and it's obviously critiquing that bad. It's not glorifying it. It's talking about the the prison of someone who's locked in a substance abuse thing, yeah. Any time I think a lot of depictions of of devils and and Satan, it really reveals what people imagine as being evil, and a lot of times the folks that they're they're demonizing uh, actually reveal the dark side of the people telling the stories, yeah. And it re- those stories reveal more about the people who tell them than they do about the other yeah. about the the ones you're pointing the finger at,
0: uh huh,
1: and those. Those three fingers are pointing right back at you. I mean, I think of back to those in medieval Europe, there were all these anti-Semitic legends and stories about, you know, about what Jews would do in their synagogues and their rituals and about Jewish people sacrificing Christian babies. And, and it's interesting that while those stories were being told, the Christian church was actually doing that. Yeah the The West Western Catholic Church was massacring and torturing people in the Inquisition and in these witch hunts.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that was that was a sanctioned thing happening right at that time, huh?
1: Yeah, and I think there's there's modern examples of that too. Do you remember the stories of Satanism in the '80s, the Satanic Panic, and stories about like hidden messages and Procter Gamble and Cabbage Patch dolls? Did did your parents ever <laughs> ever get into some of those urban legends?
0: Uh I don't remember that you know we we did urban legend I remember urban legends like razor blades being put into candy bars at Halloween but well that's that's kind of an all different told different thing i think
1: well i think it it was all part of that satanic panic though the the mm-hmm. razor blade stories it was these legends about these huge massive cults of satanists of devil worshipers and what they would do to kids on Halloween uh. A lot of towns would have kids go x-ray their bags of candy to look for razor blades. Wow. And people, people really freaked out in the 80s. It became a whole just nationwide frenzy of, of people really started to believe there were thousands and thousands of Satanists who would kidnap children and, and molest them, sexually assault them in rituals and, and it, I mean, just horrific things. Turns out it, it was totally not real. Yeah, the nobody law enforcement went out looking for them. Nobody could find these enormous coven's of Satanists uh, or any concrete evidence of any of this stuff happening. But at the same time, later on, we would learn that these these scandals came out of the Catholic Church and and plenty of Protestant churches too, yeah. of priests and pastors actually doing that to children. Yeah. So you've got these stories about attributed to Satanists and. And to devil worshippers, which actually reveal what was happening
0: by the people telling those stories. So with those stories, there's some truth to it, but it wasn't quite the truth that was told in the stories. There was they were going back to that scapegoat type thing, pinned it on somebody else. Yeah,
1: and of course, you know, the using a word like devil or Satan, it's such a loaded word. Yeah, it's interesting that actual modern Satanists they don't even believe in God or the devil; they're just atheists. Yeah. And they they use all the satanic imagery as a symbol for what their philosophy is. Yeah. But I think it's interesting. I mean, a lot of examples of names like Satan or the devil in the Judeo-Christian scriptures, it's clearly symbolic for evil that exists in humans and in humans who are on the quote-unquote good side of things. Rather than some creepy devil-worshipping cult out there. I mean, Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. He's saying no, you you're one of you're one of my boys, but you're being a Satan right now. You're opposing God's plan here.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of a um a varied subject, you know, looking back through history in Russia, looking back through history for us in the United States with the Salem witch trials, those types of things. There's there's similarities to the history and there's probably similar similarities to uh how those things came about. The scapegoating, the the looking to blame somebody else who's not yourself. That's, that's really interesting. I guess it kind of gives us a little bit of a lesson that like the next time you think about a group of people as being evil, uh, maybe consider, you know, yourself and what are those qualities that you're putting onto them? Is there a bit of projection going on? And what's inside you that, that these thoughts that you're having from someone else might be telling you about yourself?
1: Yeah, food for thought here on this Halloween episode of To Russia With Love. Yeah, Please con- continue to interact with us. We want to hear from you too, Uh, from stories, any stories you have involving creepy things in Russia or in whatever country you live in, yeah. unexplainable things. If you have stories about divination or witchcraft, if you would ever run into this in, in Russia, we'd love to hear from you.
0: And if you want to go a little bit lighter, I highly suggest checking out the Night Watch series. Uh, we mentioned that earlier. It's one of my favorite books by Sergei Lukyanenko. Check out the movies, check out the books, and um, have some fun with some some witches and and sorcerers in there.
1: And let it let it bring you to a place of contemplation about the nature of good and evil. And I think it'll you'll be surprised at the places it can take you. Yep. So this episode is actually the last one of our season. Uh, we are going on vacation again uh, until season three next year. We'll be in touch. We we might be airing a few short mini-episodes to stay in touch with you. Uh, but in the meantime, we definitely want to hear from your ideas, suggestions for Season 3. We'll be back bigger and brighter and better than ever.
0: Let us know what topics you want to hear about. You know, Obviously, there's tons of things we could talk about, but what are the things that you're interested in? Give us some ideas. You can email us, trwlpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on any of our social media. We're glad that you've been with us, and um, we'll see you on the other side.
1: Всего доброго! Today's episode of To Russia With Love was brought to you by Daroshka brand magpies. When you need a curse put on the Tsar, and you need it done today, there is nothing better than Daroshka's magpies. Available live and pre-sacrificed. Kula, kula,
0: kula!